Father, we just want to come to you now with grateful hearts for all you've done for us, God. Thank you so much for a beautiful day, God. I'm just so uh, thankful when I see the sunshine and uh, feel the warm breeze and just uh, thankful, God, that you're in control of all things. So, God, uh, as we take time tonight, as we stop, as we pause from our busy week and busy lives, God, I pray, Lord, we would just pause for a minute. God, we rest, we reflect on your goodness, your grace, God, uh, all the things that you've done for us, God. And I pray, God, that we would just... Uh, be ready to hear from you, God. I pray that you would speak tonight. You'd speak through your word, and God, that you would speak boldly and loudly into the situations of life that we face. Uh, God, as we uh, have time uh, in a small group afterwards, God, I pray, Lord, we would share the things we need to share, God. We would build others up, God, and uh, more than anything, God, we would just seek to have community with each other. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so recap. Week number one. What did we learn about? Does anybody remember? This is week number six. This is halfway. Can y'all believe it? I can't. Okay. None of y'all y'all can believe it either. That's good. So week one, we learned that God designed marriage from the beginning, right? The primary purpose of marriage is to do what? Reflect God's glory. Very, very good. And that a marriage is a covenant relationship. It's a permanent promise. Not just between you and your spouse, but between you and God. So remember that this week when they work on your nerves. Uh, week number two, we learned about the gospel and your marriage. And we talked about uh, several different things. Number one was being reconciled. So uh, that's a wonderful term there. I encourage you sometimes to go look that up about being reconciled. Is there anybody in your life that you need to be reconciled to? We learned about reconciliation and the gospel and uh, comparison being the uh, thief of joy. And marriage is not the primary source of joy. Your spouse cannot fill all your needs. Only Christ can. Week number three, we looked at your marriage as a mission. How intentional are we? Any of y'all been intentional this week? You have, because most of you got up and went to work and did some things. You had, it might, not, might be a routine, but sometimes it's intentional, right? How intentional are we about the gospel? How are we intentional with our spouse, with our family, about making sure that we're sharing uh, who he is and what he has done for us. Not living on a routine, but living on mission. Let's see. Week number four, we talked about isolation, overcoming isolation. Um, if we're not careful, that's where we all tend to drift to. So we need to make sure that we're not isolating ourselves because the results of sin is always going to be shame, guilt, fear, blame shifting, battle for control, and pain. Lord, we have pain. Do you know anybody have pain this week? As you get older, it's just rough. You have some pain. I'm not talking about that kind of pain, Randy. Sorry. Um, number, week number five, we talked about how to fulfill our responsibilities as husbands and wives. And we went through, we talked about different uh, roles and uh, responsibilities from the scripture. We talked about the wife being able to submit, uh, to respect her husband, and the husband to do what? Love, 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 love his wife, right? So tonight, we are going to go and we're going to talk about a uh, wonderful topic I'm sure y'all are all excited about. And it's called humility. How many of y'all humble people up in here? Yeah. Whoa, thank you, Sydney, for coming in and giving me the yeah. That's what most people are. So here's what I want to do real quick like. Real quick like to start us off. We have two sides of the coin. Yep, spelled that right. I think I killed it. Yep. Okay, so when we talk about pride and humility, real quick like before we get into the actual scripture, What's some descriptions when y'all would think of pride and humility? 
say scripture or description? Uh, descriptions. Yeah, we're going to get to scripture here in a minute, but we'll talk about descriptions first. Thank you, John, for pointing that out. I, I really appreciate it. Self-centered. Self-centered. That's going to be on humility, right? Okay, sorry, sorry. Oh, Eric, don't get mad. Self-centered. And if we went to the other side, what can we say? Selfless. Wow, y'all were rocking that. Y'all must have had that uh, sloppy Joe Casserole. Man, it does. I don't know if I'll make it off class or not, but we'll be good. So what's another uh, aspect that we can look at where there's two sides of the coin when it comes to? Arrogant for pride. Arrogant. Wow. And if you could, think of little words, okay? <laughs> One syllable is really, really good. So on the opposite side of arrogant would be? Humble. What? Not That's arrogant. Does anybody have anything but humble? Because we aren't. Is there another word to describe it? If you're not Eric, meek. That's like that's a great word, man. Okay, let's do two more. Let's do it so you can see her. See. So prideful people, they're self-centered. They're arrogant. What else are they? Puffed up. Puffed up. Puff the magic dragon, right? Puffed up. And so we could say deflated over here, what would we say on the other side? <laughs> this is y'all's description, it's not mine. I'm, sure, why not? Deflated. deflated. Is that humility though? Is humility actually deflated? Mm-mm. What about exhortation? Or encourager? <laughs> what about me? Okay, well, look at that, Jody. I mean. <laughs> I appreciate that, right? Alright, so let, let's stop right there because y'all are going to say some other words. I'm going to get the dictionary out and that's going to be rough. So, pride versus humility. So here's what I want to do. I've got a couple of words that I wrote down here. Not to say y'all's were not right, but I've got a couple ones that I want to put on both sides. And of course I have to refer to my paper because I do not remember them. My brain doesn't work. That's why I write everything down. So we're going to say on this, pride pride's easy. Humility is better. We're going to say pride divides. So what do you think humility does? Conquers. It connects. And it could be concrete when you do it, or it could be asphalt. Pride (laughs) demands. But humility serves. One more. Pride boasts. Humility encourages. So when it comes to relationships such as marriage, why is this important? Why do we need to be humble? Why do we need to have humility in our marriage? Open question. Because it's better. Thank you. If you if y'all just want to repeat down there, right? It's better. It connects me to my spouse. I serve them. It encourages. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the Now we could say it this way too if we wanted to, right? This is our Natural state. That's why it's easy. That's why it's easy. It comes for children. Do we have any issue with this? Are children demanding? Absolutely not. Right? No. Right? Versus humility is not our natural state in any way, shape, or form. It's something we have to constantly think about. How can we be humble? Y'all ever uh, had any issues being humble? Yes. Okay, so let's look at the scripture here in just a minute, but I want to make sure we understand. 
As we look at pride, that's our natural state. It's easy. It's our nature to be. It does divide us. Not just in our marriages, but it divides us with all other people. It's demanding. It wants what it wants, and it wants it now. And it's pretty boastful about who it is, right? It's all about me. Humility. It's always better for us, for our relationships. It connects us to people versus dividing us. We serve others versus expecting others to serve our needs. And we encourage people, or as Kathy had, exhort people. I like that, exhort people. So in Christ, what do we have? We have the ultimate example of humility. So when we look at the upper room, Jesus did what with the disciples? He washed their feet. Was it about their feet? Absolutely not. It was about the way the kingdom is going to function. What's coming is not going to function over here. Because if you remember before that, there were some people in the disciples, and they were saying what? Who's going to sit beside you, Jesus? Who's going to be number one? Who, you know, who's number one up there? And he's like, hold on, let me show you. Your number one is not the number one that we think of. So Jesus is always about humility, serving, sacrificing, loving others more than yourself. Imagine a home where humility prevails. Imagine that at your home. What would it look like? What would be the difference? Would there be as much arguing about who gets what? Who's number one? Number two? Pride always weakens us, but humility makes us stronger. So let's go into the scriptures. We're going to go to Philippians 2, and we're going to go verses 1 through 8. So Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And I have a couple of pages on this because I think it's such an important scripture. It's such an important topic for us. Because if we're just being honest today... We're a prideful people. I remember several years ago, can't remember how many, it could be up from 20 to 5, somewhere in there. I don't know. All the things sort of blends together. Uh, Lowe's had come out with this sticker, a bumper sticker, and it said on it, it said, The Power of Pride. And I remember seeing it on everybody's thing, and I thought, Yeah, flag on there, America, right? But if you really think about the power of pride, what an absolute ironic statement that is. Because the power of pride is going to lead us to a downfall, right? Versus the power of humility is going to lead us upward. So just a little fun thing for there. Have you got the scripture, hon? If you don't mind reading uh, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. Got your seats right here, right here in the very front. Come on up here. Come on. I know Chris wanted to see me close. Sorry, honey. Go ahead. Go ahead and read 9 through 11. Uh, that, we can't leave that out. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Keep going. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Finish it out. 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah. Thank you, honey. So, when we look here, the, the title in mind uh, here it says, Unity Through Humility. Unity Through Humility. When you think of something being unified, what do you think of? Together. Together. So, this country is called the... Wow, pretty interesting, right? So, but we're looking at unity through a characteristic, through humility. That's what we're looking at. And before you can have it in your marriage or any relationship, guess who has to have it first? You do. So we're going to really concentrate on the individual as we go through here and understand this is going to impact not just our marriage, but it's going to impact every other relationship we have. Not just the people that we're close to, that we have relationships with, but even those people that we're driving behind that we're waiting behind, that we work with. Bless your hearts, right? We're going to have, it's going to impact every bit of this because humility is not just for your spouse. It's for every relationship because did Jesus come just to show humility just to Israelites? No, he came to show it to the world, right? So we need to have that same mind. So it says here, uh, therefore, if there's any consolation, consolation or encouragement means to come alongside and help counsel, exhort. How often do we come alongside somebody else that's struggling to encourage them, to counsel them, to exhort them? Or do we say, man, I'm going to pray for you. One thing I learned from my wife, lesson learned. When somebody comes to you and they have a need, they have a burden, they have whatever, stop whatever you're doing. I don't care if there's five million people or nobody and pray immediately. Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling with this. Let's, let's not stop right here. I can't do nothing about it. What do we need to do? We need to beseech the Father above. And when we're doing that, what are we doing? We're showing humility. I can't fix it, but I know somebody that can. Right? So we need to make sure we understand when we're encouraging somebody, we're coming along beside of them to help, to counsel, to exhort. Who, what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes along beside of us. He encourages us. He exhorts us. He helps us. Right? We're to be doing the same thing. Uh, fellowship or partnership here, refers to the partnership of common eternal life provided by the indwelling Holy Spirit, while affection, sympathy, or mercy symbolize how God has extended his deep affection to every believer, and that reality should result in unity. How many, how many churches did y'all pass coming here tonight? I'm trying to think. Hold on, let me stop. I didn't pass any. Man, from our house, there ain't one. I think we passed like eight. Eight. We come a long way. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> if you, you got off the interstate, it'd be even worse, right? So is the church unified? No. Why are we so divided? Their own personal beliefs. Is it due to humility? Or is it due to pride? It's a, it's a big issue we have today. I remember it's been probably 10 years ago. I was talking to a guy, and he's not a believer. And he asked me, he said, I don't understand y'all people. He said, you know, if, uh, if all y'all would just unite together, y'all, y'all could hit every election and vote whoever you wanted to in and do, do all sorts of stuff. And I said, hmm, you know, you're, you're right about that. But the problem is we don't all believe the same thing, right? But also do we, through humility, seek to help them believe? Are we humbling ourselves on a regular basis trying to come along beside those who maybe are struggling in that belief to make sure that we're unified? What's the things we should be unified in? 
Okay. Is there a key doctrine we could talk about? The gospel. The gospel. Okay, what does that mean, though? Because the Mormons believe in a gospel. The death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's something we don't have a choice but to be unified on. Because if we can't believe in certain things like that, it don't matter about humility at all, right? We have to have certain key things. But there's a whole lot of stuff we have that divides us that has nothing to do with any of that. A lot of it is all about what we think and what we want, what we're comfortable with. How many churches have different kinds of music? What does that have to... Hold on. Yeah, so we've got to be real careful. We want to be unified, but we want to make sure that we're unified in the right thing, right? The Greek word here means to think the same way, and it's not optional. So, Jerry, me and you got to think the same way, even though, well, that's pretty easy for me and you on some things, right? We have to think the same way. How hard is it for you to think like others? If they're wrong, it's very hard. <laughs> okay. I'm not going, should I ask? How, how do you know if they're wrong or not? <laughs> we have to be real careful about that, right? Because if we're seeking to connect and we're seeking to serve and we're seeking to encourage, we're also seeking to do what? Listen, right? Humility really is all about, really, you have to start with listening to people and not listening so you can rebuttal them. I'm horrible at that. I listen and I'm like, he's going to stop here in just a second. I've got a good answer, right? And it's like, what did they really say? I'm not 100% sure, right? I, I, we're thinking what we're going to say versus trying to listen to connect, listening to understand where are they coming from, what's going on in their life, right? Humility is not making sure that you're right and they're wrong. Humility is doing what? Seeking to make sure that Christ is glorified and they understand who Christ is. We need to make sure, and Paul says here, to complete his joy by being unified, not only in how we think, but in how we act, in our love. So how should we love other people? Unconditionally. Thank you, Randy. Is that easy? No. No. People's tough to deal with, right? <laughs> that's, that's, no, that kind of, so we need to make sure that we're being unified in mind and love, right? So full accord in this it has nothing to do with Hondas, right? It means to be united in spirit and to literally be one-souled. Think about marriage. It's two people coming together, right? Two becoming one. He's telling us as the church, we're to be one-souled. People who are knit together in harmony, having the same desires, the same passions, the same ambitions. Being one-minded is being intent on purpose. How often do we allow things to divide us instead of having the things that are in common unite us? Is that a big issue? Okay, it's just me. I have lots of problems with this, right? We need to make sure that we're intent on purpose. Note the term here, selfish ambition. Does anybody have selfish ambition? What's the difference between selfish ambition and ambition? Thank you, John. It's pretty easy, right? You put selfish on there. It's about you, right? Is it wrong to have ambition? No, right? Where does ambition come from? Is it how God designed us, right? Did Adam have ambition based on what God designed in him? To go and have dominion, right? I think we've talked about that a little. Having dominion. It's something that's good, but you know what? We have selfish ambition, and that's another word for strife. You can put a couple other words in here factionalism, rivalry, and a great word, partisanship. Y'all ever heard that recently? Partisanship. Have y'all heard that? Yeah, right. Well, we're going to be part of a group, no matter if they're wrong or not, because we want to belong. 
instead of humbling ourselves and making sure that God understands. Conceit here, as we continue going through the scriptures, I want to make sure we look at every key uh, area here. Conceit, or empty glory, I thought was a great way of they described that when I looked through the commentary. Conceited is being having empty glory. You're conceited, you're puffed up. I think we were talking about yourself, and it's empty glory. It means nothing to nobody but yourself. Let's make sure we're not conceited, right? But and that always comes when we have selfish ambitions. Our key structure we're going through tonight, we're looking at humility, lowliness of mind. The basic definition of humility is counting others more significant than you. So when you look around at the people you have relationships with, at your spouse, do you look at them and say, hey, you know what? They're more significant than me. Don't know about y'all, but I have tremendous issues with that statement. Because when I look at people, I say, there's Winston back there. Not nearly as significant as I am. Close. No, not at all. Right? We have troubles because we do what? We compare and contrast people. And we put people in all these little buckets about how we do. It's not what we should do. No, we're counting looking at everybody being more significant. Because the ultimate example of humility was who? Christ. And he did what? Did he count everybody else being more significant than him? We're going to see here in the scriptures we go through. He did that all the way to the point where he died on the cross, right? So let's continue with verses 5 through 11. It talks about the example of Christ, who is the ultimate example of selfless humility. This passage, I thought was very interesting, verses 5 through 11, it was sung as a hymn in the early church. And it's the classic Christological passage. And yes, I copied that out of a commentary. Christological passage. In the New Testament, dealing with the incarnation, we're, we are told to think like Christ, who even though he was God, he didn't clutch it, he didn't embrace it, he didn't prize it. He didn't hold on to it. He did what? He willingly opened up and allowed himself to come all the way from heaven, all the way to the bottom. Though he had all the rights, he had all the privileges, all the honors of deity, which he was worthy of, and he could never be disqualified from. His attitude was not to cling to those things or his position, but would be willing to give them up for a season. He recognized the high call there. Jesus was equal to God, but guess what? He was willing to humble himself, because there was a hierarchy there. Don't want to talk too much about hierarchy because people don't like that. But hierarchy, we have this in the scriptures, right? Jesus was equal to God. He was the same size, the same quantity, the same quality, the same character, the same number. In every sense, Jesus is equal to God. And guess what he did while he was here? He said he was God over and over again. Didn't like it, but that's what he told him. But because of this attitude, Jesus was willing to empty himself. In here, if you got Greek stuff and you can look it up, there's a term called kenosis. And that's the theological term for Christ voluntarily renouncing and setting aside his privileges in several areas. He gave up his heavenly glory. He gave up the glory of a face-to-face relationship with his Father. Sometimes when I think about what Jesus did here, I think throughout eternity past, as far as you can ever go back, he had always been in complete fellowship with his Father. And he willingly stopped that for us. He gave up his independent authority. He completely surrendered to the will of the Father. He gave up his divine prerogatives. He set aside the voluntary display of his divine attributes and submitted himself to the Spirit's direction. He also gave up his eternal riches. He had everything, but while he was on earth, what? He was poor. He owned very little. And he also gave up his favorable relationship with God. On the cross, what happened? God turned his back on him, right? He felt the Father's wrath. Jesus voluntarily took the form of a servant. He humbled himself to do the will of the Father. Are we about to be, are we about Are we supposed to do the will of the Father? So we need to humble ourselves. 
And in doing this, he became the God-man. He was fully God and fully man. Jesus obeyed all the way to the point of death on the cross, going from the top of heaven to the bottom of humanity. We see that because here, if we continue in the scripture, Jesus' humility and his obedience, God exalts him. Christ does what? He ascends all the way back to the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us as a faithful high priest due to being willing to humble himself and obey every command. And guess what his new name is? Lord. Right? Same as in the Old Testament. That same privilege, that same power, that's his new name that we see here. That new name calls all people to worship him. Not just all people, but the angels in heaven, the spirits of the redeemed, obedient believers, disobedient rebels, and demons and lost humanity in hell. The term confess here means to acknowledge, affirm, or agree. One day, everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. Don't matter. You know where we should do it? We should do it here and not one day in heaven, right? So we've got to be sure that we understand and acknowledge who Christ is. So this mind, verses 2, 1 through 11 here, we're talking all about being humble, right? So let's continue. i got another scripture I want us to go to, and then I think I'm almost done because it is 730. So humility. Tomorrow morning when you get up, I pray that you consider yourself, and as you pray, ask God to help you to be humble today. Say, God, there's going to be relationships where I have the opportunity to show this. God, help me to be humble. We need to pray that every morning. Because if we're not careful, again, our natural state is going to take us away from the state of how we should be. Let's turn to Psalm 32 real quick, like. Because with humility also comes when we fall, when we, when we fail. And David here writes a, a beautiful uh, penitential psalm. Ain't that how you say it, John? Yeah. I know you did that a while back. A penitential psalm. I think a penitentiary, I don't know about y'all, but maybe that's part of that, right? Being that sorry that you're going to change, right? So let's look at Psalm 32, 1 through 5 real quick, like, and then we'll get down here to finish up. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. Humbled himself, right? And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This here is one of the seven uh, penitential psalms which provide us important lessons about sin, confession, and forgiveness. And you say, hold on, I thought he was talking about humility. Humility leads us to what? Confession and forgiveness. When we humble ourselves, we recognize where our sin is and what it's done to separate us from God and other people. So we need to make sure that we, when we have this, we make sure we go through and do what we're supposed to do from a confession of forgiveness, right? And you can see this lesson completely in the life of David. Why? He sinned, and somebody had to come and get in his face and say, you're the guy. You're the one that did that. Because he didn't have humility, he had what going on in his life? Pride. Far away from what a man after God's own heart to sitting on top of his house, not doing what he was told to do. And you think about that and think, I'll never get like this. Guess what? We can all explain and rationalize things to the point where we think we're right and God's wrong. It don't take much. We can be right back over here and say, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't see the perspective that I see. None of that really matters. What's right and what's wrong? It's pretty black and white. Humility always helps us to have people, uh, helps us, to have people who can expose, explain, and encourage us to face our blind spots. 
Pride always comes before a fall. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. If you haven't uh, ever heard of him, I, I encourage you to look up, read a couple of his books, and just read about his life. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Read that one more time because it's pretty deep. Because this is really talking about humility. Because when you, a man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother has just done what? He's humbled himself. Because he's been willing to say, I'm a dirty, rotten wretch to somebody else. Hard thing for us to do. When you're no longer alone with yourself, you can experience the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Confession is an expression of humility. It's the way we acknowledge our sinfulness and weakness as well as our dependence on God. We never stop needing God's mercy. Amen? Okay, we can never outgrow His grace. When we follow the example of Christ in our marriage and humble ourselves and place our spouse, spouse's needs before our ours, there's power in that action of selflessness that helps us overlook the shortcomings of our spouse as well as other distractions. We see how humility partners with love. And just as Christ willingly gave himself up for us, we in turn do that for our spouse. Final word. Humility is a necessity in marriage. It's not an option. not something you can do just every once in a while. It's a necessity. Are you the one that needs to take a first step to do it tonight? Somebody needs to be, right? I would encourage that the men be the ones to do that. We need to take the first step towards humbling ourselves and seeking that other person's best while expecting nothing in return. One of the biggest issues we have, we serve others sometimes, but we serve them what? To get something. We say, but did you not see what I did over here? You know, hey, hey, don't I get some points for this? No, that's not what you do. That's not why you do it. If you do it, it's just like Jesus talked about the Pharisees out praying. They got the reward. Somebody said, wow, look at him. There's your reward. And that's all you got. We've got to be real careful about how we do it. Final word as we go to continue. Hang in there. Whatever you're facing, this too shall pass. You think, man, I've been in this season forever, and I'm never going to get out of it. It's going to pass. Life is cyclical. You will be able to go through it. Whatever trial, whatever temptation you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, Take this attitude, and you won't be too worried about it, right? You won't say, Lord, why me? Why is all this stuff? Why is everybody always picking on me, right? No, no, no. Humility. We need, to, we need to keep faithful. We need to stay humble. And know that for those who love God, all things really do work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Remember, it's His purpose. It ain't yours. It's His purpose. Sometimes where we're at, you think, this ain't no fair. No, it's His purpose where you are right now. Endure. Learn in your small groups tonight. Humble yourselves. Seek out how you can best serve those around you through listening and lifting each other up to the Father. Humbling ourselves. Next week, we're going to talk about something that's great because nobody has it in here, I'm sure. It's called resolving conflict. I'm sure y'all don't have any issues with that. But notice that the topic of humility comes before we can resolve conflict, right? Because before we can resolve conflict, we have to humble ourselves, right? All right. Let's stay humble this week and let's seek the kingdom First, let's pray together. Father, thank you, God, for your example of Christ, of humbling himself, God, being willing to step out of heaven and take on this earthly form and dwell among us, God. And not just dwell among us, God, for us to to look at him and say, oh, that's the son of God. No, to go all the way to the bottom, to be considered as a bondservant, to be considered as, really, if you go read Isaiah, not something to even be worthy of recognition. God, because of us, because of our sin, he was willing to humble himself. 
And God, how many times I'm, I refuse to humble myself for somebody else that you made in your image. God, help us to really consider what humility means. God, I pray, Lord, it would be a lesson that we learn. God, it would be something we share. It would be an example that we could stand out to our family, to our children, to our church, to our community. That, man, those people who say they love God, they actually do something about it because they humble themselves. They willingly connect with others. They willingly serve. They encourage. They're always willing to put themselves on the back burner and put God at the forefront. So God, help us as we go into our small groups to talk, to be honest, to be open. And I pray, God, that you would move and you would work as only you can. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Thank you all.